Let's talk about the compensation, right? You just kind of mentioned it. What kind of compensation should we expect for Sean Payton? Because we could kind of go back uh, in history. There has been some big trades, like sexy draft picks moving from team to team in some of these head coaches. You have to go back like 20 years, right? But there has been some sexy trades. So could Sean Payton kind of turn back the clocks and net the Saints a draft haul? I wonder, do you think that's realistic? Sean Payton, of course, busting chops, joking this week about calling up Mickey Loomis and trading for Taysom Hill when he eventually comes back to coach in the NFL. Of course, the Saints would have to trade him. So what kind of compensation could the Saints get? We'll get into that a little bit later in the program. But first and foremost, it's the Saints Wire podcast. It's great to have you with us. And you can support our cause just by subscribing to the pod. And that's at no cost to you. You can just hit that subscribe button. And there we are popping right up on your phone every week during the season, talking all things Saints. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me, doesn't it, John? Yeah, sounds fantastic. I appreciate all the support and uh, looking forward to keep keeping the show rolling here. 100%. And that's John Sigler, of course, from USA Today's Saints Wire. I'm Ryan O'Leary playing host. And that's enough of the pleasantries, John. Let's just get right into the show. Uh, interesting question I saw on Saints Wire that I wanted to get your take on. Um, did the Saints discover an offensive identity against Seattle? At least one to get us through uh, the next couple weeks of the season, I guess, right? Because we knew coming in the Seahawks were giving up all kinds of yards especially on the ground, but in general, they're giving up tons of yards. The Saints piled up 235 rushing yards in this game. Alvin Kamara got into it. Taysom Hill was huge, right? They decimated a hideous defense, obviously. But, you know, as we've, we we came into this season really enamored with what this passing game could be with Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave, right? And here we are during that game at one point. All of those guys are out. So you got Dalton in there. And you're relying on the run and you got Kamara just kind of gashing them right up the middle and you got Taysom Hill decimating the defense on the outside and it was really working. And I guess in the like in the short term, while we're waiting for these guys to get back, John, did the Saints find something? Are they should they just focus on being a power football team when, when Andy Dalton's in there? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that this is the uh, a, a sustainable identity for, for the team, but they certainly accomplished what they wanted to do against Seattle as far as. Uh, just getting a ton of running plays involving Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill, getting Kamara involved as as a uh, receiver in the flats. He had a, had had the longest reception of his career in this game on on, on a well executed screen. Um, they they did these things really well against Seattle, but as you mentioned, that that's a hideous, horrendous, um, just terrible, no good defense, and you're not going to to face this uh, Seahawks unit every week. So. You've got to be able to attack in other ways, but you know there, there were some encouraging signs here. I think they're they're getting closer to the right track, uh, certainly in turning the season around, remaining competitive uh, once Jameis Winston gets back. So it, it's encouraging. I just don't I don't want to uh, read too deeply into it. Do you see the NFL shifting this way? Right, like you could argue that GMs are starting to value a run first approach more. Anyway, now I'm not saying the Saints are going to become this, right? I think it's going to be it's going to look different when guys get healthy and get back in the lineup and the quarterback gets back hopefully. Uh, but you are seeing these defenses getting smaller and faster, right? And it's all about pressuring the quarterback and sacks and uh, turnovers. That's pretty much what it's what it's about in football right now. You know, I think the Eagles have kind of been they were a little bit ahead of the curve. They've kind of turned to that power rushing thing with Jalen Hurts. You're seeing teams like the Cowboys when Dak Prescott got hurt this year really 
winning behind their running backs. The Giants are somehow 4-1. They're doing it with Saquon Barkley. The Browns with Nick Chubb, right? Like, teams are winning right now and kind of surviving, I guess, uh, with run-first approaches. So it makes me wonder if, like, the NFL is kind of moving in this direction. Do you think there's anything there? Yeah, you know, these things always change. Whenever the spread really took off in the NFL, you saw more more of that horizontal passing game. Uh, Teams became more pass-first. Uh, defenses responded by, you know, getting smaller. If you go and look at like the average uh, size of an NFL defender now compared to 15, 20 years ago, uh, they're they're significantly smaller. Teams are playing more defensive backs now because they're more worried about defending the pass than the run. And so you see teams like the Saints who, who are being, who are being kind of smart about this are gearing up more to run the ball. And they're investing in, in the trenches, uh, drafting offensive line uh, highly year after year after year. Um, they've got talented running backs. They've got, uh, you know, positionless players, you know, like T- Taysom Hill, who, who, who is an, a very effective runner. And they're looking at these defenses that are playing tons of nickel and dime personnel. Uh, and they're saying, look, we're just gonna, if you're, if you're going to trot out all these little defensive backs, we're just going to run right over them. And Sometimes you, you can get away with that, and sometimes you can't. You know, teams tried to do that against the Saints for, for, for many years and weren't able to do it because they had players like C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Malcolm Jenkins who were just fantastic tacklers at the second level. And they, they really, you know, defended the run as well as they defended the pass. And that, that was a real strength that, you know, not everyone uh, can, can lean on. So I – I think, I think it is one of those ga- those gradual changes where maybe the NFL got a little too pass happy for a few years there. Now now we're seeing the the counter strike where the run game is coming back and teams are picking up on these trends and trying to get out in front of them where they can. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, but you know, obviously, you still need to have a secondary in today's NFL. It's not there yet. It might be shifting a little bit and changing course, John. But uh, you still need your secondary. And when Marshawn Lattimore pops up on the injury report, and he's iffy for this game. It sounds like maybe closer to doubtful. I want to get your take on this. Uh, that's concerning, right? The, the Saints did give up a lot of yards in this game to Seattle. Geno Smith was out there. He was looking pretty good, looking like a good quarterback. Uh, yeah. and, and they hit some. Uh, they hit a lot of big plays, right? A lot of, uh, they gashed the Saints for big gains on, on you know, a few passes, right? So uh, some secondary concerns for the Saints. How concerned are you right now? Yeah, I'm pretty worried about that. We don't know what Marshawn Lattimore's status is going to be. Uh, he was not seen at practice on Wednesday. Um, he's dealing with an abdomen injury, and there, there's a real chance that he will not be available when Jamar Chase and the Bengals come to town, and that would be a pretty rough situation. You know, they're already down. Uh, gosh, Mar- uh, Marcus May has missed the last three games of the rib injury. They drafted Alante Taylor in the second round. He has an MCL sprain in his knee. He'll be back in a few weeks, but, you know, for now he's not available. Um P.J. Williams just went down with a quadriceps injury, so he, who, who knows how long he'll be out of action. Uh, you've just seen all these abs- all these injuries and absences pile up for the Saints, and you're wondering which one is the straw that's going to break the camel's back here. And we kind of saw that happen uh, again, against Seattle, where Geno Smith had, I think, four pass completions of 32 or more yards. Um, he was just throwing it all over the yard. And that, that's a product of... You know, Gino is legitimately having a really strong season, but he also has two very talented receivers to work with in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, 
see the, those three are playing really well together, and then the Saints secondary is kind of thin, and now, now we're having these issues. So hopefully they can heal up on the back end. Hopefully Marcus May can play this week because he really is, you know, he's their best safety. He has more, he has better range than Tyron Matthew and anyone else on, on the roster. And he is the starting free safety and the guy that they kind of handpicked to replace Marcus Williams. So unfortunately, he's missed more games than he's played this year. So hopefully he can heal up soon and get back to action and kind of get the secondary back on track. More on that coming up a little bit later when we talk Saints-Bengals. We'll be doing that later in the program. Uh, but first, we're going to get to... Uh, the Saints did win this game. It doesn't seem like it, John, when you look out there. It seems like people are even more down on the Saints this week, even after they won. We'll get into that here coming up next. But first, let's set our fantasy lineups. This is the Typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number six. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith versus the Arizona Cardinals. We have officially reached Let Geno Cook territory after the journeyman tossed three touchdowns in a Week 5 loss to the New Orleans Saints. Over the past three games, Smith has averaged 304 yards passing, and he has thrown seven touchdowns against just one interception. While the Cardinals have played better since a woeful Week 1, they will present a stiffer challenge than the likes of the Lions or the Saints. Nevertheless, ride the hot hand. Smith has a pretty good matchup overall and is a decent bet for 250-plus yards and at least two touchdowns. Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson at the Chicago Bears. On one hand, it was a fantastic sight to witness Robinson return from his off-season gunshot wounds to lead the backfield in carries and yardage. On the other hand, those numbers were nine attempts for 22 yards, and he had no role in the receiving game. Chicago has allowed the fifth most rushing yards on the second most carries, and the position has scored four times through five weeks. Since it's unlikely Chicago's offense can put up enough points to force a pass-heavy script, Robinson is shaping up to be a quality play on the ground. Wide receiver Darnell Mooney versus the Washington Commanders. Mooney is a low-volume fantasy option, and he's better utilized in non-PPR settings. This matchup a lines perfectly with that profile too as the commanders have done a decent job of limiting catches but have allowed big plays along the way. This is the number one matchup in fantasy points per touch, number two for yards per reception, number five for yardage generated, and number three for the ease of scoring among wideouts. If Mooney cannot make some noise in this one, he's barely worthy of a roster spot going forward. Cleveland Browns tight end David Njoku versus the New England Patriots. After a slow start to 2022, Njoku has emerged as one of the stronger fantasy plays in the last three weeks, particularly in PPR scoring. He has no fewer than five catches for 73 yards in any of those last three games, and this week he faces one of the more favorable opponents for his position. New England has allowed a touchdown per game on average to tight ends, but that's really about where the success has ended for all but Mark Andrews after he posted two scores in 89 yards. The next closest performance is four catches, 22 yards on a touchdown. But the Patriots will focus extensive attention to both the backfield and Amari Cooper, freeing up Njoku across the middle to move the chain. Don't expect a huge game, but something around 50 yards on a touchdown is certainly well within reach. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, it's our questions of the week segment. I got three questions for you, John, and I'm kind of excited to hear your answers on all three of these. So here's number one, the touchdown wire. Uh, they, they put out their uh, power rankings, uh, I think I believe it was on Wednesday this week, 
And I was wondering where the Saints would be. They're at number 25 in the, in the latest power rankings, John. So here's where the Saints are ranked behind. This is where I want to get your take. Chicago, Pitts, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, the team that just lost to the Jets and got completely crushed by the Bills, 38-3. to They were down 31-3 to at half. Pittsburgh, Denver, I, I mean... Did anybody watch that Thursday night football game, John? That was so ugly. The Denver Broncos are a freaking dumpster fire right now. And the Jaguars, the Jaguars, who I believe just lost to the Texans, if I'm not mistaken. So the Saints are here at 25. They're behind some of these really bad teams. And I know they've had their issues. Some of them, you know, a lot of them injury and coaching related, obviously. Fair or unfair, though, to place the Saints behind some of these teams, John? What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that hot of a take. You know, the Saints have some very real flaws right now. Uh, and the the author of that power of those power rankings power rankings at Touchdown Wire is Mark Lane. He, he's the managing editor over at Texans Wire, so he knows a bad team when he sees one. <laughs> and yeah, and so I think he does see these issues with the Saints, where you know they got this revolving door at wide receiver and at quarterback, and the defense is getting gashed with these big plays. You know they had the Saints had had a very rare sixty uh, nine yard touchdown run allowed in this game as well. So they were kind of susceptible to these big plays. And I think teams are going to key in on that and kept try and take advantage of it here in the weeks ahead. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't necessarily agree, but I see where he's coming from in having the Saints ranked so lowly. Now, here at Saints Wire, something I do every week is I survey 15 different power rankings from national outlets, from uh, Touchdown Wire, from USA Today with Nate Davis uh, on, on the front page. Um a couple of fan blogs as well, just trying to get a pulse of like how, how the Saints and the other NFC South teams are, uh, what, what their perception is around the league. And this week, the Saints came in with, with an average ranking of 19.8. Last week, they were 23.9. So, they, that, hey, that's a, that's a four-point jump. So okay. that's better. They, they, that's they're better. doing better. Um, yeah. And, you know, Lane uh, is ranking them pretty low uh he, he had the lowest uh ranking out of, out of out of the 15 different outlets that i surveyed this week um but i wouldn't say that's unrealistic or without without due reason i mean this is not a good football team they've lost three of their first five games uh they kind of ha- kind of got away with one here if the seahawks weren't penalized so often um maybe things go a little differently but hey it worked out in the saints favor they're two and three um, at the end of the day, we, we'll just kind of keep stacking wins, and we'll check back with these power rankings next week. Yeah, we might have to get Mark on the uh, podcast, John. Because Pitt, again, <laughs> again, it's like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. How the hell is Pittsburgh ahead of the Saints? I, I don't get that. They're one and four. They're freaking. They're, they're getting crushed. They're horrible. They have more problems than the Saints do. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go on that soapbox, John. I just thought that was an interesting uh, spot to have the Saints number twenty-five. Um, okay. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to get all hot and bothered over this. Here's number two. Question number two. Uh, many have had, many have made the argument that analytics in baseball, John, it's like ruining that game, right? Because it strips away excitement, narrows the game down to those three true outcomes that, that happen no matter what the defense does, right? Home run, walk, or strikeout. The defense has nothing to do with that. Uh, but in the football world, our analytics and all the crazy decisions we're seeing coaches make, and this year it's been freaking nutty, John. Brandon Staley, with the Chargers. So the Chargers against the Browns last week, they have a two point lead with a minute 14 to go. They're on their own 46 and it's fourth and one. But instead of punting and making the Browns drive for a field goal, they go for it on their own 46. They miss it. And the Browns only, so they only gained 10 yards in that minute. So uh, Brandon Staley got lucky here. The Browns gained 10 yards. They tried a 54 yard field goal. It missed and the Chargers still won, but you have Keenan Allen 
who's home nursing a hamstring tweeting, what the F are we doing? <laughs> so, you know, the players are like looking at some of these analytics decisions with like, what are we doing guys? Like seriously, John Harbaugh over at the Ravens basically openly admits that he looks at the sheet and if the analytics tells him to go for it, he goes for it. He basically admitted that in a press conference. So what about analytics? Do you think that's hurting the game at all? Or do you think it's like, spicing it up? Oh, no, no. I think I think that's doing a lot to advance the game, helping coaches make smarter decisions um, and, and really making for a more entertaining product. You know, to me, a fourth down play, an offense going for it. That's one of the most exciting moments in, in a game like that. You talk about that all week about what happened on that fourth down play. Did, did they did they get it? Did, did they come up short? Uh, did the defense get a stop? What, whatever it may be. Um that that is it's an electric it's an electrifying moment in the game and you know I I understand that there are situations where it's smarter to punt the ball away um, it all depends on it really depends on the game and and the situation and I under, I understand too that you can't just sit there with the spreadsheet and say uh, and say okay the magic eight ball says we need to go for it here like like there needs to be there needs to be real uh, data and information and context informing that decision where you say, okay, if we go for it here, then we only need to advance like eight more yards to set up a field goal to, to win the game. Um, or if we go for it here, then that gives us the opportunity to contr- to hold, hold, hold the clock for the rest of the game, kneel it out for a win. Like, I, I, I get that. You just got to be really smart and decisive in those moments. And Staley is someone who was so good on fourth down last year, he showed really strong instincts for it. He, he did a great job of kind of trusting the advice that he was getting and making good decisions with it. And it seems like he's kind of regressed this year. Uh, there have been times where he's had opportunities to go for it in short yardage situations inside uh, enemy territory, and he's opted not to, and that's ended up blowing up in his face. It seems like he kind of can't get right this year. He, he and Dan Campbell both have kind of struggled in that area from from what, I, what I've gathered. So hopefully they can shake back, hopefully not too, not too much, uh, because, you know, if, if the – my um, personal conspiracy theory here is that the more the more often Brandon Staley struggles, the greater the chances uh, become of the Chargers trading a boatload of draft picks for Sean Payton next year. So <laughs> I guess we'll see how that turns out. But I would love to see him do well. But I would also love to see the Saints get, get some uh, primo draft capital in in return later on down the line. Uh, or you're, those use it. <laughs> you're such a you're such a pro with the perfect segue into question number three. So let's just get right to that. Uh, Sean Payton is busting our chops. Shocker, right, John? We're sh- we're so shocked that Sean Payton's out here busting chops. And in this yeah. case, uh, if Saints fans happen to miss this, um, Payton joined Colin Cowherd's podcast, I believe, uh, and there's a clip circulating on YouTube, and told him this about Taysom Hill. Quote, I texted Mickey Loomis yesterday. He's my closest friend. And I said, hey, if you're uncomfortable with that $10 million salary, let me know in a year or two, and I'll take it off your hands. So... Sean Payton busting chops, having some fun with the possibility of him returning to coaching, obviously returning with a team that's not the Saints, right? Because he wants to trade with Mickey Loomis, so he's not coming back to the Saints, as we as we know. Uh, now, the Saints would obviously have to trade his rights for him to coach another team if that uh, does end up happening in, as Sean Payton told us, quote, next year or the next year or two, John. Uh, but what do you think? Let's talk about the compensation, right? You just kind of mentioned it. What kind of compensation should we expect for Sean Payton? Because we could kind of go back uh, in history. There has been some big trades, like sexy draft picks moving from team to team in some of these head coaches. You have to go back like 20 years, right? But there has been some sexy trades. So could Sean Payton 
kind of turn back the clocks and net the Saints a draft haul. I wonder, do you think that's realistic? Yeah, I think they will get some nice picks in return. I don't think it's going to be anything close to what a lot of fans are asking for. I mean, you got fans on Twitter saying that, yeah, we need the whole John Gruden package, which was uh, two two first round picks, two second round picks, eight million dollars in cash. Uh, we we need all that, and we're going to need Micah Parsons, and we're going to need CD Lamb. And I'm just like, <laughs> hey, 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 yeah. hey. I, I love the enthusiasm, but that that was 20 years ago, and you're not. And I just I do not think it's going to end up anywhere close to that. Like I could see the Saints getting you know a single first round pick. And, and maybe like a third or a fourth, or I could see them getting like multiple second round picks. I could see, you know, it, 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 it would be a nice ball, but it wouldn't be anything like earth, earth shaking. And that's because there, there are so many factors in play here. And, you know, the biggest one is that Peyton is going to have a say in wherever he goes, um, as are the saints. They're, they're ultimately the team is going to be the one, the ones clearing it. And, he is not going to want to step into a situation where if he doesn't have a quarterback, he also doesn't have the means to acquire a quarterback. And as, as we all know, the, the easiest way to do that is, is through the draft. Uh, franchise fa- passers, they just do not hit the open market. And so you look around and you see, well, you know, the, the Jets traded like a whole class's worth of picks uh, for, for Bill Parcells and one between the, the, the trades for Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. And neither of those really worked really worked out for him. Um, maybe the Saints could do that and, and just just get all seven uh, rounds of picks from I don't know the Cardinals next year. I, I don't think that's realistic either. Like I think this is going to come down to it being you know a couple of top fifty, top one hundred selections, and then both sides kind of go on their way. Um, another factor that concerns me: I just don't have any faith that Mickey Loomis is going to get the mo- maximum value out of this trade. You know the the he has kind of been taken to the cleaners lately in, in several different trades where you have uh, the, the Eagles got CJ. Well, the Saints traded the traded uh, Gardner Johnson to the Eagles, um, you know, for pennies on the dollar. The, the, and that, that was kind of their own fault. They made an emotional decision there. They just wanted him out of the building and they just took whatever they could get from, you know, probably the first person to pick up the phone. Yeah. Um, and then with the, that previous trade with the Eagles to get another first rounder, they overpaid for that. Um, you know, it goes back to last year when they traded for Bradley Roby. Uh, they, they traded multiple picks for a player who was did not start many games for them last year, who has been a liability at times this year. Um, I just don't have much faith that, you know, even, even though Loomis may be the, you know, longest tenured GM in, in the league, I don't know that he's the best at, at his job. And I haven't seen much evidence lately to suggest that he's going to do a good job in this uh, navigating this trade with Sean Payton whenever it happens to bring the best haul back, back home. So I, I hope, I hope that I'm wrong. I would love to be surprised and uh, get to sit at my, sit down at my desk on a, a Tuesday um, in, in, in the spring ne- ne- next year and see that the saints are getting, you know, multiple first round picks for Sean Payton, but I just don't have much reason to believe that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that crazy Raiders trade for Gruden, the two first, the two seconds, the cash, uh, and then you got these other ones that, you know, go back to 1999. Seattle sent a second round pick to the Packers for Mike Holmgren. Uh, it's probably going to be somewhere in between that, right? But in the Mike Holmgren one's kind of like a, a small little, okay, we'll give you a little compensation. The Raiders one's well, like over the top. That one was a little different uh, yeah. because Holmgren had a clause written into his contract that, that made it kind of, kind of unique. Um, and so it was, it was like, I only have to go where I want to go. And, and it, 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 that was, from what I recall, 
that was much closer to the Bruce Arians trade, sending his rights from Arizona to Tampa Bay, where it's like, I'll, I'll either do this or I'll retire. And yeah. you just take what you can get. And I think that was the case for Holmgren as well. So that's not necessarily the situation with Sean Payton. You know, we think, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe he really is enjoying working with Fox um, as well as he said, claims that he is. And it's it's enough to kind of keep him from returning to coaching if, if he doesn't find, you know, th- this perfect ideal situation that he wants to inherit. Uh, that, that's been the case for, um, shoot, who, who's the former Steelers coach with CBS who's been doing it for uh, Bill, Ka- Bill Cower. Bill Cower, yeah. Bill Cower was only like two or three years older than Sean Payton was whenever he stepped down from Pittsburgh uh, when, when, and when Payton uh, stepped down from the Saints earlier this year. So th- to me, those are two very similar cases. And I could totally see Payton, you know, loving uh, broadcast work and saying, hey, I would rather hang out with my best friend in the world, Jay Glazer, and <laughs> preview all the games and just sit here in this nice uh, suit and my $500 sneakers and uh, j- j- just kick it on Sundays rather than go through the the twenty four seven grind of uh, running a team if it's not the perfect team for me. So we'll see. I, I think I do think you're you're right that it's going to fall you know somewhere in between those extremes of it only being like a fifth or a sixth versus multiple first and second round picks. Um, but it's a really complicated situation, and this happens so rarely in the NFL that we just don't have much context. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. So, all right, we're going to move on. Saints, Bengals, Saints are home, but are they favored? No, of course not. Saints are underdogs. We'll tell you by how much and make a pick right after this. All right, Saints, uh, John, two and a half point dogs to the Bengals back home. A couple interesting notes, though, in this matchup, like the return of Trey Hendrickson, who's been just a monster for the Bengals on defense. The one I'm really looking forward to is the return of Eli Apple, right? who I think Saints fans and players will have a lot of fun with. He said plenty of negative things about the Saints and New Orleans. So uh, Eli Apple is going to be one that people will be um, interested to see how that thing plays out with him and some of the players on the field and what is said before and after and all that. Yeah, it's really weird. You know, I I know that Eli Apple was, um, you know, he kind of caught the brunt of a lot of criticism in New Orleans and he, he left on pretty, pretty ugly terms. And he absolutely burnt that bridge on his way out. You know, to, the man was out here slandering gumbo and, and crawfish and, and like some of the most delicious food in the world call, calling it crap. And I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry that your mama doesn't know how to cook. So that, that's what you think is good, but <laughs> a great palate the, for Eli any, anyway, um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, yeah. So, you know, my dearest hope in the world is that Michael Thomas is going to get healthy playing this game and just beat all up on Eli Apple, just like they, just like he did when they were teammates at Ohio state. Like I would love to see that happen. Um, hopefully it materializes. We, we don't, we still don't really know the severity of Michael Thomas's uh, toe injury. It's believed to be turf toe, but that hasn't been, you know, confirmed by the coaching staff or anything. Um, I would think that since he was not put on injured reserve in the first place, that he could be back, you know, this Sunday, we we just don't know. We, we got to keep a close eye on the injury report, see how that goes. Um, but the sooner that you know Eli Apple is back in the Superdome, getting toasted, um, it'll, it'll it'll be just like old times. I can't can't wait for it. <laughs> no doubt. How about you know? Uh, we know Michael Thomas seems like kind of questionable for this one, but maybe on track to play. Chris Olave coming off a concussion, we, that's probably kind of iffy at this point. John, I want to get what, what what are you hearing there? And, and it sounds like Jarvis Landry's kind of targeting this week to return. Yeah, Landry, uh, oh God, 
So, yeah, Landry wasn't. Uh, he, he's kind of been struggling with this ankle injury. He got injured um, trying to adjust to a poorly thrown ball from Winston a few weeks ago. Um, he was able to gut it out against the Vikings. Uh, they decided to shut him down um, against Seattle, give him a shot to return this week. So we'll, we'll see. You know, he didn't practice on, on Wednesday. Neither did Mike Thomas. Uh, Chris Olave was doing some, some, some uh, solo work under supervision uh, from, the, from the training staff. So we'll see if he's able to play. Um, I don't know that he will. We'll have to so keep an eye out on that. But that, that would be a, a really nice boost. But if not, I mean, the Saints would be looking at um, <laughs> uh, last year's receiving core. If, if, if Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and Chris Olave are all unavailable, then, you know, Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, uh, the, the, the floor is yours. So we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully some of those top – at least one of those top three wideouts can play. Uh, but if not, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait – Kind of cross our fingers and and uh, hope things go New Orleans way. Yeah, yeah. The flashback to last year you just gave us, John, is um, it's just not something we need in our lives right now. Uh, uh, and you know, yeah, I, may, 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 look, may, maybe maybe a uh, um, Saints legend uh, Chris Hogan can unretire from oh, the no. cross yeah. again and <laughs> come come back to the Saints and and, and uh, catch catch some more touchdown passes from us. I mean, maybe maybe he's our uh, savior in waiting with those eyes bugging out of his helmet. <laughs> Oh gosh! <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I, I said a little earlier. I don't love this Bengals team. I'm not really sure how to gauge it. But if Lattimore is out and the Saints are kind of patching things together in the secondary against Jamar Chase in that passing attack, and maybe the run game isn't able to completely gash Cincinnati like it did to Seattle, because as you said, John, they're going to face better defenses. Cincinnati's got a better run defense than Seattle. It's not even close. Uh, so it makes me kind of. The unknown with New Orleans, even though they're at home, makes me want to lean Bengals two and a half, but I don't feel confident in it at all. But what do you think about the line? Uh, what side of it are you? Are you taking the Saints with the points at home against these Bengals? What do you think? I think so, and I think I, I think that's because the Saints are a better coached team. Um, man, I've been so disappointed by the Bengals this year where I really hope that they would build off that momentum from the, from going to the Super Bowl last season when, gosh, nobody anticipated that. That, that was that was probably the story of the year last season was Cincinnati making that jump. Um, they made the investments in the offseason to try and get the offensive line up to at least NFL average uh, quality. And it, it's just been mess after mess and disaster after disaster. And so much of that is on the head coach there. I don't know that he was really qualified for that job when they hired him. He he was one of one of those um, Sean McVay hangers on who j- just got a gig, um, or, or when when the when the, the those Rams teams first popped off, uh, and I think we're kind of seeing that the, those uh, hens come home to roost now, where they're having lots of issues with generating explosive plays. Uh, they, they have one of the worst offenses in the NFL right now, um, at, at gaining chunks of yards. Um, which is just baffling when you look at the personnel. You know, you, you have a quarterback, you have receivers, um, you have an, a line that you can at least say is probably the 15th or 16th or you know, at worst 17th uh, uh, best in the league, and you, you just cannot gain 15 to 20 yards to save your life. And that's kind of where it's getting. So it would be really shocking to see either of these teams fall to two and four uh, on, on Sunday. Um but as, as far as this specific matchup, I like the Saints better. I think they found some things that work, some things that will translate. Um, I just hope that, that the quarterback play can continue, can continue to be steady, whether that's with Andy Dalton under center or if uh, Jameis Winston uh, is able to return this week. So 
we'll, we'll have to keep an eye out on it and see. But I, I do like the Saints, and I'll, I like them by a field goal. Yeah, this just popped in my head, John, as you were talking about that. Like during that Bengals Ravens night game the other night this this past week, they flashed it up there. Like Joe Mixon, their running back, he was like last in the NFL in average yards per carry or something. He was averaging like two point seven yards per carry. Yeah, there is something wrong with that offense. It, it there is. There's something. There's something just not right. <laughs> something like grinding up the gears or something. Like yeah, I, yeah. I found hey, that hey, stat to be you know, staggering. Yeah, you know, we were, we were just talking about um, uh, Sean Payton being traded, and maybe the Bengals are, are a sleeper uh, Sean Payton team. <laughs> I mean, uh, who, who knows how much longer Zach Taylor is gonna going to have up there? I, I think he certainly bought himself some goodwill by by reaching the Super Bowl. But if they fall down, fall so flat in that uh, Super Bowl hangover, then you know maybe Payton uh, is uh, look, looking at townhouses in Cincinnati this time <laughs> next year. So uh, I don't know, John. I have family in Cincinnati area and. That a travel traveling over to Ohio for holidays or whatever family gatherings, it's not that exciting over there in Ohio. I don't know, <laughs> it's not not a ton to do, and it's not it's not the most exciting trip in the world. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but yeah, that would be perfect, Sean Payton, right? He'd inherit Joe Burrow and then trade for Taysom Hill, and then he'd he'd send Burrow on the <laughs> sideline, bring Taysom out. It'd be perfect and piss I mean, Burrow yeah, off. You know, half, half of that roster is uh, his former players anyway. Yeah, it's so true. It's, not, it's so true. Yeah, it's it's not like he has to. It's not like he has to teach Von Bell and Trey Hendrickson how, what what to do. I mean, yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So that's John Sigler right there from the Saints Wire. Check him out and his crew. They do great work on the site. John, what's what's going on between now and kickoff of this ball game? Just previewing the heck out of Saints Cincinnati. Yeah, we're previewing this game. We're kind of keeping a really close eye on the injury report, breaking that down every day. Um, keeping a close eye on the waiver wire as well. It's been pretty active for the Saints, the, at running back specifically. We, we know uh, that they lost Octavius Murray last week. They lost uh, the guy they picked over him, Tony Jones, uh, a few days ago. They signed Jordan Howard today on, on Wednesday, so he'll be in the mix. We'll keep an eye, keep an eye on all of that. Uh, the, the NFL trade deadline is on November 1st. That's about three weeks out. So we're going to see how things develop on that front. I don't know that the Saints will be very active, um, either as buyers or sellers, but, you know, they, they have surprised us in the past. You know, they, trading for Quan Alexander, trading for Eli Apple. Um, it seems like they're always pretty active here, here at that deadline, and uh, hopefully they can make a move and uh, do something exciting. It, it did seem, John, after that Latavius Murray move, that there was a flurry right after that. Right? <laughs> that it was just oh, funny how that was. went out. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, the, 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 I, I kid you not. They saw. I think I want to say that they, they they had like seven different players coming and going in, within forty eight hours That's of wow. uh, Murray leaving for the Broncos. Like between the practice squad and the fifty three and injured reserve uh, settlements and everything, I think they had seven or eight different players uh, go go in and out the door uh, in, in within with, within forty eight hours. It, it was wild. For John, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Make sure you check it out, Saints Wire for sure. Uh, thanks for joining us on the pod. Hit subscribe and tell people about it if you could. We appreciate you, and we will catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.